Hey everyone, it's Adam Farkas from OD Wire. Thanks for tuning in to another OD Wire radio broadcast. Today with me, as always, we have Paul Farkas. Hi everyone. And today we're going to be tackling a really interesting subject, exiting commercial practice. So today we have some examples from OD Wire members who've made the switch from commercial practice to other modes of practice. Um, so this is going to be a very informative session for people who are interested in making the switch and want to get some tips from people who've done it successfully. Before we get started, I just want to reassure everyone that this is not a bash session against commercial practice. Commercial practice is, of course, a valid mode of practice. It's probably the dominant mode of practice, actually, these days in the United States. So it's likely that if you're listening to this, you've considered going into commercial practice at one point or another. So today we're going to discuss how to actually get into commercial practice and, more importantly, how to exit successfully and prepare you to actually make that leap. So on the line with us right now is Dr. John Melnick from Columbus, Ohio. And John, thank you for being with us here today. Sure. And uh, Paul and I are just going to ask you a bunch of questions about your experience uh, moving from commercial practice to a different mode of practice. So I guess here, here's the first question that we had for you. Where are you currently practicing and, and how long have you been there? Well, I'm actually at The Ohio State University. I'm an, a clinical associate professor, and I am in the, um, it's called CarePoint East. It's a medical clinic off campus uh, where we have a wide variety of patients, but it's almost all medical, so it's entirely different from what I did in commercial practice. Right, and, and when did you work in commercial practice? Well, I actually started right after I graduated in 1991, and really with a couple of very short stints uh, in commercial, in, I'm sorry, in private practice with friends of mine, um, I was in it until um, August of last year, August of 11. Right, so it's been almost a year, I guess, that you've been out. Yeah, best year of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the motivating factor that said, I'm, I'm getting out of here? Well, actually, to be honest with you, the, the primary factor was the fact that my wife is the new uh, dean of the College of Nursing and a vice president of the university. So that was the first thing that brought us here. But in the process, they wanted to find a, a location for me. The Ohio State is very good about that kind of thing. And with the background that I had, even though it was commercial, I did a lot of co-management of cataracts, uh, retinal problems, glaucoma. Uh, diabetics, uh, that sort of thing out in, um, I was in Phoenix for the last seven years and upstate New York prior to that. So the fit actually was very good and they had, uh, they wanted to open this clinic. They've tried it twice before and it didn't work for one reason or the other. And I told them that, you know, with the experience that I had and the, the stability that we would give them, this really was attractive to them as well. Right. And, you know, you made an interesting point, actually, that you were doing a lot of medical. How did that actually sit when you were out in commercial? Was that okay uh, with the organization that you were working for? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, they pay lip service to it. There's no doubt about it. Uh, this whole thing evolved, this, this conversation evolved, because I was following the thread that's been going on for the last few days about uh, losing a person losing their lease and, and that whole thing. Um, being in a variety of commercial places over the last 20 years, um, I've always heard, you know, the support. And actually, in a few of them, um, Pearl is one, and Walmart, toward the end of my stay there, they did actually offer, uh, you know, uh, reduced rates on some equipment. So they do a few things in that direction, but the bottom line is, when you're at a commercial practice, let's face it, they want to make sure that they're selling glasses and contacts 
And that's pretty much it. Do they support it? As long as you can make sure that all the rest of that gets done. Uh, my experience is, yeah, they're okay with it. Do they jump out of their skin over it? No. Right. And so actually you had a variety of experiences in commercial practice. Can you sort of speak to us about, um, you know, you always hear about the district manager on the sites where, where people are being told what to do. Um, you know, was it different for you in different places? Did, were there sort of different levels of local control there? Yeah, there actually is. And if you go back and look at this particular thread that, that uh, started this whole thing, uh, a few people had mentioned that they had no problems whatsoever. And then, of course, some of the other docs that responded said, well, that's because you had a good district manager. I've seen it on both ends. And in regional differences, yes, absolutely. But it all cuts down to the personality that you're dealing with. Um, the, the best situation that I had in, in commercial optometry was actually in upstate New York. I had a huge Walmart practice that was very active. Um, I averaged close to 100 exams a week, um, almost 150 in the big season and 70, 75 in the, in the weaker seasons, and did a, quite a bit of medical optometry, not as much as I would do today. This was, years, this was seven or eight years ago before I moved to Phoenix. But there was a district manager there who was actually an optician, and that's a point I'd like to make because there are many district managers who are not. As a matter of fact, my experience has been most of them are not opticians, and they're certainly not optometrists. So they don't really understand what goes into it. They're totally bottom-line people. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was one uh, Walmart, uh, uh, let's see, a, a regional director, so he's above the district manager, who actually came out of the garden department. Uh, he ended up being a pretty okay guy, but that background really doesn't help you in optical at all. <laughs> I would say not. <laughs> uh, one, one thing with your varied experiences, were you always an independent contractor or in, for New York State, for example, where corporations can hire optometrists as employees? Were you ever an employee, and is there any difference between the two? Well, yes, there is a difference between the two. To answer your question directly, I was an employee for 11 months when I very first came out of school. Uh, there's a chain out of New York City that um, I actually didn't go to work for for a short period of time. It worked out okay, but then after that, I was always a private contractor. Um, you know, back in the early days, oh, these chains, particularly Walmart at the time, and I don't mean to beat them up because, well, you know, they've had their times when they're actually not so bad, and then they've had their times when they're worse. Um, but there were times when they literally, if the store was slow, they would try to, or actually I take it back, it's not that the store was slow. About 15 years ago or so, there was a move to make all the docs employees. And I think that didn't work out very well because then they found out they had to pay benefits, they had to pay for vacations, they had to pay all this other stuff. They thought they would get control over the docs, uh, and then they realized it was going to cost them a lot. And somebody, now this is all speculation, so take it with a grain of salt, but to watch what they did, you can pretty much see their chain of thinking. They, they realized that they could still control the docs by controlling the, uh, their leases, uh, the amount of time they had a lease, and so they didn't have to pay those overhead costs, so they dropped it all. Now, I haven't been near Walmart in a number of years, so I don't know exactly what they're doing. When I left, I had a very small practice out in Phoenix. I was helping out a doc who was very, very ill at the time. Uh, he ultimately died, and the, the, they, the lease went over to me, and that was all fine. It was a very slow Walmart. There were six of them within 14 miles, hmm. six Walmarts within oh. 14 miles. Jeez. 
So I was averaging about six to eight patients a week. week. So they were, yeah, they were okay with that at the time. Uh, something I was, it was unheard of in New York. Um, in New York, it had to be five-day coverage. It had to be a minimum 40, if not 50 or 60. And that was the way it was in New York. Out there, there were so many Walmarts so close together, they would let you go on much fewer hours. So since I was more or less doing them a favor, and, you know, that's the way it was for a year and a half, they let it, they just let it go. And I went in for an hour or two, maybe two or three days a week. And that was it. Everybody was happy until all of a sudden somebody in their home office, and by the way, this one I was actually told by one of their district managers was, somebody in their home office realized there is such, and I quote now, there is such an overabundance of ODs that they now are demanding 24 hours minimum coverage everywhere, and it didn't matter how many exams you did. They didn't want you to leave the store, uh, you know, maybe except to go to the bathroom or get a bite to eat or something like that. But in other words, you couldn't even roam around the store. And they, they offered me the lease, obviously knowing there was no way I was going to take it. So that was my last episode with them. Right. You think Walnut had a, a special place for lonely guy optometrists? that only see a couple of patients a day. <laughs> well, apparently they did. <laughs> yeah, apparently they didn't mind in the past, but they do now because yeah. the key, the takeaway here is that there's such an overabundance. That really caught my attention when they said that. I have to give them credit. At least they were honest about that. Sure. And you know what, what's sort of striking to me too, listening to your experiences, is how different things are regionally. Um, I think it's really difficult to actually generalize from one place to another because you hear stories that are so different in so many different different places. Yeah, that is true. There are differences. I mean, you know, some states like Texas and Florida, they're pure two-door states and they won't allow, you know, any, any form of uh, employment or anything that even looks like employment. Um, you know, another point along that is it, it's interesting, though, again, not to beat up Walmart, but they're kind of the poster child for some of this stuff. Um, my lease, the first lease that I ever had with them was back in 1992, and I think it was about six or eight pages, if I remember correctly. My last lease that I signed with them, which was um, this, this lease on this small place in Phoenix, was 36 pages long. Wow. <laughs> so, and, uh, did you take these leases to a lawyer? Should uh, any young OOD that's working for, going to work for Walmart uh, take this lease? Or is it a very form type of lease that they can safely sign it without any fear? You know, I never did. Well, I shouldn't say I never did. I actually did in the old days when it was really important because there was a lot of hours, there was a lot of money, there was a lot of responsibility. The last one that I had, no, I didn't care. You know, it was a matter of, it, it was such a, it was an enjoyable place because I liked the folks I was working with, but it was so slow and it was never going to be much better. I just figured if we're going to part company, we're going to part company. So that one didn't bother me at all. It didn't cause me any angst. I just sort of looked at them and, you know, didn't say a whole lot, just kind of smiled and walked away. But, you know, there's really not an awful lot that they will tolerate because they know that if you don't want to take it, or you go to your lawyer, and I, I know somebody on the thread said he took it to his lawyer, and the lawyer had a very colorful comment about the value of the lease. And he's absolutely right. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm, I'm sure that this lease would drive a lawyer nuts if they looked at it. But the point is that um, um, Walmart or, or any of these places, Lux, that, that's another one. You know, they don't care. 
they they know that there's nine docks behind you, particularly in places where there's warmer weather. Um, you know, for, in Phoenix, for instance, there are so many retired and semi-retired docks just running around sort of looking for three hours here, four hours there, and they turn up in all these places, and it, it's really kind of rough on the young kids, I would think. Sure, right. So I guess circling back around then, now that you've sort of left that world, what have you found has been sort of the, you know, the, the, the biggest joy for you in the past year, the biggest difference and the thing that makes you happiest, you know, for, compared to your, your old environment to your new environment? Well, first of all, they're night and day, but I'm, I'm sure you're aware of that. The situation that I have now is full scope of practice, absolutely. I mean, I even have access to CTs and MRIs one story below me. So if a patient came in, and this is not out of the realm of possibility. I actually had a suspected orbital cellulitis about two weeks ago. Um, I actually can order CTs and MRIs and MRAs. So the scope of practice now compared to what I had before is just absolutely unbelievable. We have one of the best EMR programs you can possibly imagine. This is an EMR program that actually is for all of medicine. So surgeries in there, all the various surgical uh, procedures are there, podiatry is there, um, you know, all the services are there. So it's a phenomenal program and it actually works very well. So it doesn't even really relate to some of the ones that are strictly optometry based. But it's just such a more, the, the whole professional um, my whole professional life is so much better now. And, you know, I really, I, I say this, I actually do uh, teach interns one day a week uh, at the College of Optometry here at Ohio State as well. And I, I talk to these kids about wishing on them something like I have now. And really about the only place you can do something like that is at a medical center like this or maybe in the military. You know, they have pretty broad scope of practice as well. Um, you can't do what I do here in a commercial practice. I just can't see it happening because what I do sometimes takes so long to diagnose with a patient, and I'm in contact with, you know, their primary care physician, their surgeons, their neurosurgeons. I mean, I work with the neurosurgeons daily almost. Right. You know, one, one question. So the I'm, sh- I'm sure, sure. Uh, a question that will come up from our listeners. You have a Ph.D. before you received your O.D., uh, right. Did the Ph.D. help you at all? Yeah, it actually did. My Ph.D. is actually in uh, biochemical micro- microbiology, and it's more lent toward engineering, but because of uh, a good portion of my background, I always felt very comfortable with eye infections, ocular infections, um, treating you know, eye infections, antibiotic therapy, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it did. It also caused me, it was just in the the discipline of doing a Ph.D., now understand, I'm not telling everybody go get a Ph.D. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of discipline. Um, there are some strange people, anybody who watches The Big Bang Theory, that's uh, <laughs> my favorite show, and it's because they exaggerate a few things, but there's really a lot of truth to it. Um, the discipline that it takes, though, to go through it is, is very good, is very important because that carried through and that helped me be very focused. Because in many other ways, I'm really not, you know, I, I just not, I'm certainly not an OCD person, that's for sure. So I need something to kind of put me in a focus, and that did it. And uh, that technique kind of stuck with me over the years. So it was very helpful. Sure. And now, so I have the multi-million dollar question for you. If you had to give yeah. advice to, you know, people who are just coming out, just starting out, or people who are 
working commercial right now and wanting to make the leap, what advice would you give them on how to actually do it? Well, you know, it's it's very interesting that you say that because I actually was thinking of responding to this thread when it all came up, and I was going to start writing, and the problem is the thread would have been like eight pages long, so I absolutely <laughs> decided not to do it. And then when when uh, when YouTube, you know, put the offer out to do this on the radio, I said, well, this is a lot better way to do it. The advice that I actually do give my students and any of the young folks that I meet at meetings, uh, and I do go to meetings pretty regularly, as a matter of fact, is that if you have to do a commercial practice, I recommend that they try to do it for as little an amount of time per week as necessary. In other words, by that I mean if they can get a job either with an OMD, uh, another OD, or start their own, and I understand that is really tough coming straight out of school. So it, it, that you know, it, 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 there's a lot of moving parts to this, you understand, but to try to distill it down, work as little as you can in a, in a, um, in a, clinic, in a commercial setting in as short a period of time as you can. It was interesting, some of the... Um, some of the docs that were writing on this, I think Steve Nelson in particular, laid out a plan, and I think he only had five or six or seven points, and it really boiled down to make sure you get all of your patients' numbers and addresses, plan your exit strategy. Uh, there were a couple other things he made, but that all boiled around those two things, plan your exit strategy, and I agree with him. And I'll tell you something else. When you're in a position like the person that started this whole thing, it was an anonymous, uh, it was an anonymous uh, writer, you know, they had lost their lease or they were going to lose their lease. What happens now is you have 30 days and a lot of times the adrenaline kicks in and you can't even think straight. Um, I have not been in that position, uh, although I've had leases pulled before and I just got angry. I always had one or two with the exception of that period of time when I was with Walmart. And the difference there was that I got along with the DM so well, uh, the district manager, that you know I just I got a little lazy and it worked out. So that one was fine. But I don't recommend that because DMs can come and go. Uh, regional managers can come and go. You can have a good DM, but if his regional manager changes and that guy gets on the DM's case, you know what falls downhill. So that's the kind of thing you got to be aware of. Keep your head up, your eyes open, and your ears open. You know, you will see some people that will write on these blogs and they will say, oh, they've done fine. They've been in Walmart for years. Good. I'm, I'm glad for them. I really am but I've just seen too many times when things go along. Every commercial place I ever dealt with, you always had a, a honeymoon. That first year, you know, they would sell you the world, and then after they got a look at what you could do, then they started putting the squeeze on. And it was ridiculous to me because, you know, some of the things that they would ask for, more hours, more patient, whatever, you know, I would look at them and I'd go, do you guys think I'm stupid? I mean, I'm not here... Uh, for my great looks and my wonderful personality. I'm here to make money just like anybody else. This is a job. You know, I have to take care of my family. Do you think I'm going to turn patients away? Do you think I'm not going to see as many patients? But they treat you like you're an idiot. You know, like, if you stay six extra hours, you're going to see so many more patients. Uh, no, I used to watch this very closely, and I used to track it very closely, and I would know if I stayed six extra hours, I might see one patient every two or three months extra. That's slightly exaggerated, but you get the point. It really was, I had it so fine-tuned that, you know, it was a very rare patient that they would lose, and I mean rare. You know, when you're seeing 85 to 90 patients a week, you know, there isn't a whole lot of room for a lot more of them. It pretty much, it pretty much covers everything, you know? Right. 
Well, great. Well, thanks so much for the advice, John. I know we we're, we've got limited time here. I know that you actually you, you're yeah, actually have lunch and, that's right. You're actually in your car right now, as, as you said before you came on the air here, because uh, you, the MRI units are actually disrupting your phone up in your office. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad to be on, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to do that. And you know, like you said, I I, not, I didn't come here to beat anybody up, but the profession has changed, and it's it's not changing for the better. I'm sorry to say, but, you know, the new grad, the recent grad, or even the person that's been out a few years, you know, there were a few people on the blog that, that said they had, they did, you know, commercial for three or four or five or six years, and then, you know, one thing or another would happen, either they'd lose the lease or they'd leave, and it was the best thing for them. Well, I absolutely agree with that. You know, I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit to you that I was kind of lazy for a number of those years. You know, the money was just coming in, and, you know, I did enough of the medical optometry to be happy doing what I was doing, but... It really, you you can get in a rut very quickly, and it's very hard to get out. And then when the time comes that they do cancel you or squeeze you to the point where you feel you have to leave, then it's a crisis. Right. So I guess the moral of the story is, as they say, it's okay to be pushed out of the airplane. Just make darn sure your parachute works. Absolutely. Yep. Great. Well, thank you so much, John. Okay. You're John. welcome. Thank you. See uh -huh. you on OD Wire. Thank you. <laughs> okay, we will do. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, thanks everyone for listening today. Uh, in part two of this episode, we are going to have the mysterious Dr. X tell you his experience of leaving commercial practice for a private practice. And we're also going to have the always entertaining, always controversial Dr. Stephen Nelson tell you his story of how he left a large commercial practice to enter the world of nursing homes. See you then. <laughs>